Merry Christmas. You may be seated. Can we just give it up for the Lord as we just celebrate his birthday and the team? Thank you guys so much. That's beautiful. Thank you. Thank you. Hey, everyone. Merry Christmas. So thankful you guys decided to join us on our Christmas Eve service. It's a truly a, priv- a privilege and a blessing to have you guys. And uh, listen, we're excited just to celebrate this moment and the truth that God broke in and entered into history, that heaven came down to earth, that light came into our darkness. And so uh, would you turn with me in your Bible to Luke chapter 2, Luke chapter 2 and Luke chapter 12, uh, Luke chapter 2, Luke chapter 12, that's where we will be at tonight. Um, I know what you're thinking, as you can see. Yes, my wife did dress me uh, a couple times a year. Well, every day, actually, but, I mean, a couple special times a year. Um, but, hey, listen, we're really glad you guys are here. Merry Christmas. We do just want to slow down and take in what this moment is and what's really happening. Uh, amongst the chaos and busyness of just the Christmas season, our hope is to slow down And just to really give room for the Holy Spirit to remind us of the moment we're in, uh, to slow down the pace and chaos, and for us to just bring our full attention to Jesus, to this whole Advent season that God came and God is coming, and uh, we just want to honor that. So we're in Luke chapter 2. The title today is simply Peace on Earth. We're going to be looking at a passage, probably the most famous passage that's used around Christmas season, a phrase that will be put on like every Hallmark card, every Christmas card. Uh, And that is the phrase, peace on earth. And it might be overused a little bit at times, uh, but I do want to emphasize, and I do want us to slow down and look at the angel's proclamation. So what the angel said that day to the shepherds, they said, glory to God in the highest, and on earth, peace and goodwill toward men. And we want to talk about that peace on earth, because I don't know if you're, you're looking or thinking about 2020, maybe you're wondering, where is this peace on earth that we were promised a couple thousand years ago? I mean, let's be honest, let's just talk about this. If you think about this Christmas season and we're saying, hey, let's talk about peace on earth, I think everyone in their heart of hearts goes, okay, but where is it? Like, what what, what will peace look like? Shouldn't peace already be here? Christ came, peace on earth. And we want to, like, talk about this because 2020 has just been a a year uh, that goes down in, in, in history. I think there's just tension on every side. It seems like everyone is mad at everyone. It seems that maybe even this year we're on the verge of a civil war. You're going, where is the peace? Where is this peace that God came into earth, that the the promise to the shepherds, peace on earth, like where is that? I mean, even, it's just stressful enough when you think about the holiday season. When you think about just this this time of year every year, this is when everyone kind of gets on edge. This is maybe when anxiety starts to come out. This is when you feel like there's no peace in your home. Maybe your kids are in the back seat screaming their heads off, and you're listening to Silent Night, and you start screaming, right? And that was just maybe, maybe that's just me. Uh, but I think this is the season where it's already tense enough. It's already heavy enough, let alone just kind of add 2020 to the mix. And I think that the, it begs the question for all of us is, God, where is this peace? Where is this peace that you promised why don't we see it or do we see it? If it's, if it's here, where is it? How do we find it? What does it look like? And we want to just slow down and take a moment to look at one of the best promises in the scriptures of peace on earth. And yet, so often what's overlooked in this passage is also a prophetic word that before there's peace, there's going to be division. Before there's peace, there's a sword that will pierce our hearts, our, th- our thoughts, Mary's heart specifically, but we got to understand this. So here's what I want to do. We are going to read Luke 2. We're going to get into this. Um, we want to talk about this in a practical way. We want to address the unrest that we see. 
But before we do that, I just want to ask you guys in this, in this, this moment, this night, why don't you just take a second, why don't you just bow your head, close your eyes, and I just want you to simply pray a prayer of God. Would you just bring peace tonight, bring, pre- bring peace in my life? And I want to just give um, the Lord some time to move and work, because I don't know if we always slow down or if I always slow down and we steady our hearts and still our hearts before God. So why don't you do this, bow your head really quick, close your eyes. I want to read to you one verse, and I'm going to pray. But I just want you to take this in and ask God in this moment, this night, to bring peace. It's a verse we all know very well. It says this, Isaiah 9, 6. For unto us a child is born, unto us a son is given, and the government will be upon his shoulder, and his name will be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. Take a second and just invite the Prince of Peace to give you peace. Take a second, just be still, quiet your heart, and say, God, would you bring peace into my family, my home, my marriage, my life? I want to see this promise of the Prince of Peace truly come to pass. Give the Lord just a second to move and to work, and then I'll pray. Father, we just, we just ask that. We, we cry out for that, God. Lord, how, how I, how we need peace. And Jesus, I just ask that you would just be present, that you would be here, that this would be a, a night, Jesus, where we truly reflect on you, on this beautiful promise that when you come, there will be peace. That this is the sign that, Jesus, you entered earth born in a manger. You, you took on human flesh. You entered into our pain, our suffering. You entered into this moment, Lord, of human history where you forever can relate to us, where you forever, you forever took on just a human nature and a human body. And we just thank you, Jesus. We just ask that you'd be present here, that God, um, you would just reign over our lives and that there'd be peace that truly surpasses all understanding as we look at your word, as we look to you, Jesus, in your name. Amen. You know, I'm curious how many of you have someone in your life that's just incredibly difficult to love. And I, I would be like, you know, raise your hand, but I'm sure we all do, and like, don't point at them. I'm sure they might even be here. My wife's like pointing at me right now. Um, but I think we all have people in our lives that are incredibly difficult to love. And I think 2020 in many ways is kind of brought out just like even that more so. It's kind of heightened that you know, people we love and care about de- deeply, maybe in 2020 you've seen some things in them or you've seen some, them post some things that kind of rub you the wrong way, and it seems like maybe 2020 has, has brought the craziness in everyone. And, you know, a lot of people have studied, you know, what's been happening this year, and a lot of experts and sociologists will go on to say, we really don't know what the next uh, few years, even possibly decades, will look like in light of the year of 2020, in light of the year of this pandemic. I mean, think about this. There's just social unrest. There is this unrest in, in families and lives. There's just this, this tension that seems to be kind of following us every, everywhere we go in 2020. And I think for all of us, it does just beg that question of, God, where's the peace? 
I mean, you promised us perfect peace. You promised us the Prince of Peace. Where is the peace? You know, when I was about 19 years old, uh, I had the privilege to go to this event that took place at a college university. as at UCI or UC Irvine. Uh, that's my mom's alma mater, Go Ant Eaters, worst uh, mascot ever. Um, but I had the privilege to go there. And there was like a debate sort of thing happening between a pastor, a rabbi, and an imam, a, a Muslim or an Islamic uh, leader. And they all got there, and it was really more or less of a debate, but more of them sharing their faith and then kind of having an interaction with each other. And then afterwards, you could uh, pull one of the leaders aside and just ask them questions. And so I was there. We listened to everyone kind of share their perspective, their faith. And it, it was a really respectful event, a respectful night. The pastor shared, the rabbi shared, the imam shared. And at the end of the night, I kind of waited for a while to like things to die down. And the rabbi was standing there, and I just, you know, approached him, and I just started talking to him, just making small talk. And my question was, hey, is it possible? Is it possible Jesus could be the Messiah? Like, really, the idea of Zechariah 9.9, I'm just asking, like, that the Messiah would come in on a donkey. Um, don't you think that might just make more sense 2,000 years ago? And I wasn't trying to do it arrogantly. I'm just trying to ask questions, like, just genuinely, like, is it possible Jesus is the Messiah? And he goes, no, absolutely not. And he goes, here's why. He goes, where is the peace? Where is the shalom? And his point was, and it's a good point, if Jesus was truly the Messiah, there would be shalom. There would be peace. There would be this sense of peace on earth. When you hear that word shalom, it truly is a rich and beautiful word. Maybe you've heard it before and just greeting people, or maybe you've heard someone say shalom, or maybe you've been to Israel, and that's like a way they greet or might maybe leave each other. But this word shalom is so beautiful. It's so rich. It's completeness. It's wholeness. It's being at harmony. It's just, it's just you, the way God designed it and intended it. It's kind of taking everything back to the Garden of Eden, where God walked with man in the cool of the day. That's shalom. And his point was this. If Jesus was the Messiah... Why don't we see shalom? Actually, I had another conversation with a rabbi last year, and this was his main point. He says, if Jesus was the Messiah, there would be shalom. There would be peace on earth. Jesus cannot be the Messiah because there's not peace. And so for you and I, it does, again, beg the question of where's the peace? Like, shouldn't there be peace? I believe Jesus is the Messiah. I believe God has entered earth. I believe that this truly took place where the angels revealed themselves to shepherds and said, peace on earth. So where is it? And why don't we see it? And what will it look like? And, and what kind of shape does peace take? Like, shouldn't we see it in some way, in some capacity? And so we want to talk about this. Because listen, let's just be honest. You know, today, I think everyone wants and lacks peace. I mean, you can have a lot of money in the bank, but have absolutely no peace in your heart. You can be completely successful right now. You can be successful on the outside, but just have no peace in your life. You might be married, but there's no peace in your home. I think everyone is just longing for this thing of peace. I want to see harmony. I mean, parents, you know this. It's like, I want to see harmony with my, ki my children. I want to see them at peace with each other. And I think all of us in our heart of hearts are longing for shalom. We're longing for this harmony, this peace. I mean, this is in all of our hearts and I think that this year has brought up that question more so, the holidays in general, and everything that seems to be 
uh, at unrest. It's funny, I was watching the Santa Claus with my son, the Tim Allen movie where he like, you know, fall, Santa Claus falls off his roof and he puts on the suit and becomes Santa Claus. I don't know if you remember that one. It's a classic, it's a good one. And I remember as he like became Santa Claus, there's a, there's a scene where he's like literally gaining weight. I don't know if you remember, he like looks in the mirror, he shaves and his beard grows back immediately. But he gets on the scale and his, the weight says uh, 194 pounds. Like that was his heavy weight. And I was like, oh my gosh, I'm like 30 pounds heavier than Santa Claus. And, and my son's like, he's like, oh, he's so fat. I'm like, no, he's thin. I'm 30 pounds heavier. Where's the shalom? Like, where's the peace, right? I just think this year brings out in so many different forms. And like, where is it, God? In my family, in my life, at my work, at my school, where, where's this peace that is promised to us? Shouldn't we be seeing peace? So I want to talk about this. I want to look at this concept of peace. And I want to see why it's different. I want to see what Jesus comes to offer is maybe not what people were looking for the first time. But so here's three points. I'm going to lay them out, and then we're going to break them down, all right? Here's the first point tonight. Uh, number one is this. Peace is problematic. Peace is problematic. Number two is peace is promised. And number three is peace is a person. So let's kind of break this down. The first point tonight is peace is problematic. Even saying peace in some ways is paradoxical. So let me give you some context to what's happening here in Luke chapter 2. In Luke chapter 2, you're going to see a guy named Simeon. If you're with us this weekend or, or watched, uh, we talked about the life of Simeon. Simeon sees Jesus enter into the temple. Jesus is eight days old. Mary and Joseph, uh, they're being very good parents, very obedient parents to the law. They come to bring Jesus into the temple on the eighth day uh, to offer two turtle doves. That's what poor families would offer. Uh, two pigeons or two turtle doves. They were, they were a poor family, and so they come to be obedient to God and offer that to God. And Simeon sees Jesus as a baby. He just steals baby Jesus. He just takes baby Jesus from his parents' arms, and he holds him up, and he just bursts out into worship. And, and it's a beautiful worship, like song. You, can, you should read the scripture in Luke 2. It's a beautiful song. But then after that, he prophesies something over baby Jesus and over Mary. And that's actually a part that's kind of lost in a lot of Christmas messages. And here's what Simeon prophesied over Jesus and over Mary. It's Luke chapter 2, verse 34. You can read it with me. Luke 2, verse 34. It says, then Simeon blessed them. And he said to Mary, his mother, behold, this child is destined for the fall and rising of many in Israel and for a sign which will be spoken against. Yes, a sword will pierce through your own soul also, that the thoughts of many hearts may be revealed. Let me say this. Peace is problematic. Like, this isn't a verse that people read a lot of times on, on Christmas, but he's saying, wow, this child right here will be for the rising and falling of many. There's going to be discerning of hearts that is going to take place. Mary, your soul is going to be divided. It's going to be pierced through. And this is kind of a heavy prophecy that he speaks over Jesus. And, and I want you to understand this, because when it comes to peace, before there can be peace so often, a lot of times there's pain. Before there is peace, a lot of times uh, maybe there's suffering or brokenness. Now, I want you to think about this. You know, on D-Day, when the Allies came to France, uh, how did they bring peace? Through war, through fighting. You know, if you have a tumor in your body and a doctor is trying to bring peace to your body, how does he bring peace? He cuts you open, he spills some blood. 
You know, if you're someone who's walking through a tough moment, maybe you're depressed, you're in a very deep lull, you go to see a therapist or you go to see someone who just wants to help you walk through some things with you, you know what they're going to do? They're going to explore some deep memories, some past experiences, some family trauma. There is going to be so often, please listen, a lot of pain before there's peace. There might be a lot of division before there's peace. Before there's peace, so often, there might be some tra tragic, painful division taking place, and there can never be peace at times until there's maybe this, this pressing on this painful thought, moment, experience. And this is exactly what Jesus said. Jesus said this in Luke chapter 12. I, I, want, I want to read this. We'll throw the verse up here. You can turn over if you want, but it's Luke chapter 12, verse 51. Listen to what Jesus said. He says, do you suppose that I came to give peace on earth? Most of us are like, yeah. He goes, I tell you, not at all, but rather division. For from now on, five in one house will be divided. Three against two and two against three. Father will be divided against son and son against father. Mother against daughter and daughter against mother. Mother-in-law against her daughter-in-law and daughter-in-law against her mother-in-law. Merry Christmas. So glad you guys are here. Um, I want you to hear this. Like, hear this. Jesus is going, do you, do you think I came to bring peace? I mean, these are his words, not mine. I want you to understand, when I say peace, peace is problematic, it is paradoxical. Of course Jesus came to bring peace. He's the prince of peace. The angel said, there's going to be peace on earth. I mean, yes, Jesus came to bring peace, but he goes, but do you not see that he came to bring division? And you're saying, well, what is this? This is a thought for you and I, and just a profound thought that Jesus offers is that before there can be peace, there will so often be pain, that Jesus' birth, again, caused great division. The rising and falling of many, according to Simeon that many will be turned, their hearts will be turned to him, they'll rise, many hearts will be frustrated and turn away from him. And Christmas almost seems to bring that out in many people. And I want to offer you two thoughts in this point. Just please stay with me. We'll put it up here. But when it comes to this, listen, Jesus' birth causes conflict among people, and Jesus' birth causes conflict within people. So let's just talk about this first point. Jesus' birth causes conflict among people. It just does. I mean, you mention the name Jesus, you know there's conflict right away. It's almost like even just saying, obviously, we know this, but if you're, someone's like, happy holidays, like, Merry Christmas, and you're like, did I just mess up? Like, it's just funny, just even just the, the thought of Christ, the thought of Jesus, just causes division right away. There's something about who the person of Jesus is where if you truly look into the statements of Jesus, if you truly study the things he said about himself, I mean, it's a big deal. It's almost repulsive to, to many. Like, Jesus claims some big things, and yet there's this crazy attractiveness to his lifestyle and his humility and how he interacted with the poor to the, to the wealthy. You go, but there's something really attractive about this guy's life. Listen, Jesus' birth causes conflict among people. Jesus put it this way in John chapter 3, verse 19. Jesus said this, The light has come into the world, and men have loved darkness rather than light because their deeds were evil. Please hear this. Jesus' birth causes conflict among people. He says, hey, light came into the world. Listen, light came into the world. But men, they, they fled from the light. Why? Because they love darkness rather than light. I want you to hear this. The birth of Jesus is very controversial. The birth of Jesus, who he is, how he entered earth, how he entered history, I mean, it's separated. It's truly done what he said. It's divided families. You know, when I was a youth pastor, uh, there's this young Jewish boy who had a lot of questions. He goes, hey, my rabbi has asked me to interview a Christian. Uh, can, I, can I interview you? So I spent about three hours with this, this like, 15, 16-year-old Jewish kid who just had question after question for me. It's awesome. 
It was awesome. Uh, uh, two weeks later, he comes back to my office. We talked for like another hour and a half. I didn't see him for a few months, and he, he comes back with his other friend, and he says, hey, listen, I want you to know, um, I now believe in Jesus. And this did not come through, you know, like just a quick decision. This was come through careful, careful examination. And I, I've shared this story before, but he shared this in, incredible dream he had. And at the end of the dream, he basically concludes that Jesus must be the Messiah. And I'm like, how's your family taking it? He's like, not so good. You know, it's put a lot of division amongst my family. They feel like I've abandoned them. And he goes, I don't, I don't feel like I've abandoned them at all. All these stories I've ever read and enjoyed, all these holidays, all these festivals, it's actually made me appreciate more. I see how it speaks of Jesus. I see how it's pointing to Jesus. I see how it's fulfilled in the person of Jesus. I don't feel like I've left Judaism. I feel like I've become more of a full or complete Jew. I actually have embraced this, and it was so beautiful to hear that. Maybe you have a similar story, though. Maybe when you've said, I'm going to follow Jesus, your friends, your coworkers, your families go, what are you doing? Like, what are you, why would you follow Jesus? That's so limited. That's so narrow. That's going to that's gonna hurt your career. What are you thinking? Maybe you've experienced that just some family tension. You're like, I know it might sound strange to you, but honestly, the person of Jesus is absolutely captivating. I can't, I can't help but follow him. I mean, but at the same time, you know why people can't be neutral when it comes to Jesus. Like, we have no option to either be fully in or fully out. Remember what Simeon said, the prophecy of Simeon, this child will bring the rising or falling of many. There is no in-between. There's no neutrality with Jesus. I mean, the statements of Jesus, that he is the king of kings, lord of lords, he said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. I and my Father are one. I'm the resurrection and the life. He who believes in me, though he dies, shall live. I mean, think of the statements of Jesus. He says, your sins are forgiven you. No one can forgive sins but God. He's like, exactly. My point is, Jesus made some pretty big statements. And for some, they go, Jesus, I, I look at these statements, I look at these claims, but you know what? I also look at your lifestyle, and your lifestyle matches these, these claims. You know, there have been people throughout human history who have made claims of being God, and usually within a matter of months, uh, that's pretty much debunked, where you kind of go, oh, look at your lifestyle, look who you are, you're just power hungry, you're crazy. Jesus came, made some pretty big statements and claims, and yet you see him live life. He goes, I'm not here to gain money. I'm not, I'm not here for any other reason but to serve. I came to serve and to give my life a ransom for many. You see, Jesus had the crowd saying, come on, take over. We want you to lead. We want you to start a revolution. He's like, that's not why I came. I, I came to die for sins. My point is there's something incredibly attractive about the life of Jesus where people would so often say, who is this? Who is this man? That even the, the storm and the wind, they obey him. Who is this man that can forgive sins? Who is this man that can make lame people walk? Who is this person? And all of us right now have a decision to make when it comes to the person of Jesus. I mean, every day, I mean, think about it. Every person ever, you can't be neutral about Jesus. It's funny how some don't, some really want to be neutral about Jesus. I was reading different, like, Time and Life magazines about the person of Jesus, and they kind of make him, like, hippie-esque and really lovable kind of a guy. And Jesus would never say a hard thing. Jesus would never do anything that's hard or challenge anyone. That's not Jesus. And they're so far off from the biblical Jesus. But my point is, when you truly press into the life in the person of Jesus— you have to look at his claims, look at his statements. It might rub you the wrong way, but then you look at his life. You look at who he is, what he's done. You look at his humility. You look how he came to serve and not be served, and you go, I cannot help but fall more in love with him when I read him and study him and get to know him. Here's the point again. Uh, Jesus' birth causes conflict among people. Christmas is a time where it reminds you and I, like I'm either fully in for this birth of Jesus, or I just, this is a waste of time. What are we doing here? Simeon said, listen, this son you have, this son you have, he's going to be for the rising and falling of many. 
You see, peace on earth was promised, but keep in mind, peace is problematic. Jesus said, do you think I came to bring peace? No, there's going to be division. And I, I want us to see, again, before there's true peace, so often there's division. You're exploring. There's hard conversations. There's things taking place. Before you can remove, or before that you can be healed if your body's sick, maybe, again, you have to go through surgery, blood. This is going to be spilled. You know, body will be torn apart to get rid of the tumor. My point is, so often before there's harmony and there's peace, there's pain. And Jesus said this. And not only is there uh, conflict among people, but listen, Jesus' birth causes conflict within people, within people. Notice what he says to Mary and what he says uh, in verse 35. In verse 35, he, he has this phrase, the thoughts of many hearts will be re- revealed. You know, when you kind of encounter the person of Jesus, man, uh, the thoughts of our hearts are revealed. I mean, there's conflict within. If anyone's ever encountered like, Jesus, truly, you guys encountered Jesus and experienced him, you realize like you're madly and just enthralled in it with who he is and what he's done. But when you realize, man, the truth of Jesus stings. Like, this means that I'm a sinner. This means I'm far from God. This means I could never do anything to be right with God. My good works would never get me to heaven. That Jesus said on the cross, it is finished. Meaning salvation is not based off me and what I do. It's based off Jesus. And that is incredibly good news, but that's also offensive to our flesh. We want to feel like we did something. We accomplished something. God's going to accept me to heaven because of what I did. But in reality, it says, no, 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 you could never do it. You know, there's, there's a side where, like, the person of Jesus brings conflict within Maybe you've had that inner conflict where Jesus is saying, I want to be the Lord of your life. If anyone wants to come after me, let him deny himself, take this cross daily and follow me. And you hear that and you go, there's conflict within. But Jesus, I want to be the Lord of my life. He goes, I have to be the Lord of your life. I'm either Lord of all or I'm not Lord at all. I have to be Lord over everything. If you want to follow me, take up your cross. That means die to yourself and follow me. Follow me daily. And there's this inner battle and struggle within uh, J.C. Ryle, he was a, just a really well-known theologian, said this. He says, the child of God has two great marks about him. He may be known by his inward warfare as well by his inward peace. Listen to that. Uh, when you p- first put your faith in Jesus, man, there is inward peace. You go, oh my goodness, I can rest in the finished work of the cross and what Jesus has done for me. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you that I could, I, can't, I could never work my way to heaven. I could never work my way to relationship with you. Thank you that you paid it all. And man, that's a beautiful thing. But again, there's almost that inner warfare as well. It's what Paul describes in Romans chapter 6 through 8. Paul's like, man, the things I want to do, I don't do. The things I don't want to do, I'm always doing those things. He's like, who will deliver me from this body of death? And there's this inner warfare that so often happens. And notice how Simeon prophesied this, the thoughts of many hearts may may be revealed. Hey, Mary, this is going to hurt. This is going to sting. The one you gave birth to, the one you love. You know, Mary, who was obviously blessed among women, who's obviously chosen by God to bring forth the Messiah. I mean, incredible character. I mean, what a privilege, what a responsibility. But even at times, she, she had doubts. Her and the brothers come to Jesus, and they're trying to get him to stop claiming these things. You can read that in, in the book of Mark, how there was like this, uh, they're not really sure, like, what are you doing here? What's happening here? And you can see that there's this inner conflict with even in, within Mary, and that's what Simeon said would happen. And, there's, and this really, I think, personifies all of you and I, that you and I have also this inner conflict so often. And listen, the point is we have to make a decision. Again, the rising and falling of many means we cannot be neutral when it comes to Jesus. You know, there came a point in my life when I was like 16, 17 years old, I was just kind of like, yeah, I love God, yeah, I believe in Jesus, but you know what, this is also pretty fun. And I remember there came a point in my life where it's like, I either have to be fully in or fully out. Like, it was miserable to be in the middle. 
You know, Jesus talked about in the book of Revelation, right? He's like, I wish you're either hot or cold, but because you're lukewarm, I'm going to vomit you out of my mouth. I mean, there's something about saying, I don't really like being this middle neutral thing. Like, I either have to be fully in or fully out. And Christmas is that reminder that peace is problematic because we all want pre- peace. But so often it comes through division. It comes through processing. It comes through this inner dialogue. It comes through exploring the person of Jesus, his statements, his claims. And all of us go, Jesus, if you're truly the Messiah, where is peace? But he says, listen, I've also come to bring division, meaning it's going to be problematic for you. Before there can be true peace, you're going to have this wrestle in your soul with who I am. And what role do I have in your life? Church, are you following? Jesus is either Lord of all or he's not Lord at all. And there will never be peace until we address this person of who is Jesus. That yes, Jesus is the Messiah who came to save in a very true general sense, but is he your Messiah? Has he saved you? Then there will be peace. But let's go to point number two. Point number two is uh, peace is promised. Peace is promised. So we're asking the question of where is peace, but peace really is promised. It's Luke chapter 2, verse 10 through 14. Can we just read that? Why don't you open your Bible if you're not there yet? But Luke chapter 2, verse 10 through 14, here's the promise of peace. But I want to kind of uh, explore this a little more. It says in Luke chapter 2, verse 10, it says, The angel said to them, the shepherds, do not be afraid. Angels always have to start off that way. I love it. Angels are like, hey, hey, don't be afraid. I know I'm glorious. Don't be afraid. They just, that's how they start off. Do not be afraid, for behold, I bring you good news or good tidings of great joy, which will be to all people. For there is born to you this day in the city of David a Savior who is Christ the Lord, and this will be the sign to you. You will find a babe wrapped in swaddling clothes, lying in a manger. Verse 13, and suddenly there was with the angel a multitude of the heavenly host praising God and saying, glory to God in the highest and on earth peace goodwill toward men. Peace is promised. Now, let me explain something. There's kind of like an asterisk or a little footnote I want to make. Uh, maybe you've heard this verse a lot. We sing it. You're walking, you're listening, you know, you're at Starbucks. And you can hear this song, glory to God in the highest, on earth, peace, goodwill toward men. Um, this is actually a really bad translation. Now, you can talk to anyone or read any commentary or look at it. The ESV does a really good job of explaining this promise. And let me just clarify it. We'll put up verse 14 in the ESV. Here is the real translation. It says, glory to God in the highest, and on earth peace among those with whom God is pleased. We didn't hear that. We read it normally as peace on earth for all, like an on earth peace, goodwill towards men. Actually, the angels say, they literally say this, and you can look this up in a Greek interlinear Bible. You can look this up. It literally says, again, peace among those with whom he, God, is pleased. Peace among those with whom he is pleased. Because uh, here's the question. Where's peace? Why don't we see peace? Notice the promise of peace, guys, and this is so life-changing. Where's peace? Where it says peace is among those with whom God is pleased. If God is pleased with you, there's peace. How do I get God to be pleased with me? Hebrews 11:6. But without faith, it's impossible to please God. For God is a rewarder of those who diligently seek him. Please listen to that. Peace among those with whom God is pleased. God, who are you pleased with? Well, those who put faith in me, I am pleased with. Without faith, it's impossible to please me. Did you know that your faith pleases God? Like when you hear God's word and say, God, I trust you. God, I believe you. I rest in this. I'm going to give my life to this. God goes, I'm pleased with that. Without faith, it's impossible to please me. But faith pleases God. So the angels say, peace on earth. Among who? Among those whom with God is pleased. So who's that? Those who have faith in Jesus. 
those who put their trust in Jesus. Why am I, why am I getting to this point? Because the question of where is peace, peace, the angels make it really clear. Peace is among those with whom God is pleased. God is pleased with those who put their trust and faith in him. And so if you want to know where is peace, it's among those with whom God is pleased. This is so important for us. You know, this is pointing to a greater reality of what peace is. That peace is internal before it's external. That the question that the rabbi asked me, I shared in the very beginning of, well, where is the shalom? The, question, the, the point that we see here is peace is internal before it's external. Peace is inward before it's outward. That the peace that Jesus offers is truly an inward peace, us being reconciled to God before we're going to see shalom outwardly of the wolf lying down with the lamb. We all want to see peace outwardly. We want to see the kingdom come. We want to see your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Like, we want to see God ruling and reigning. But there will never be external peace, but until there's internal peace. And we need to see that there's peace among those with whom God is pleased. Uh, a guy named Charles Wesley wrote a famous hymn that we know. It's Hark the Herald Angels Sing. And here's a phrase from it we know well. He says, peace on earth and mercy mild, God and sinners reconciled. I mean, this is the peace he's speaking of. God and sinners reconciled. Paul said it this way in Romans chapter 5, verse 1, since we have been justified by faith, we have peace with God through Jesus Christ. Listen to that again. Since we have been justified by faith, we have peace with God. How? Through Jesus Christ. And the point is this, until you're at peace with God, you'll never experience the peace of God. Until you're at peace with God, you'll never experience the peace of God. First, you and I need to be at peace with God. Are you at peace with your maker? Because so often we want the peace of God, but God's like, but are you at peace with me? I want the peace of God in my life. I desperately need the peace of God in my life. But the point for all of us is, but are you at peace with him? Like, who cares if you have peace in your day-to-day life? Like, maybe you would even say, maybe for you, peace is just the absence of sorrow or troubles. Well, that's not really peace. But let's just say, you go, I just don't want any more craziness going on. You might have that kind of peace, but are you at peace with your maker, with your God? Until you're at peace with God, you'll never have the peace of God. I mean, this is what he's getting at. Paul would say something very similar about how peace is promised in this way. Peace is an internal thing. Maybe it's a verse you you well know and you've quoted a few times during this holiday season because of the chaos. But Paul in Philippians 4, 6 says this, Be anxious for nothing, but in everything by prayer and supplication. Supplication just means specific prayers. With thanksgiving, uh, let your requests be made known to God, and the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and minds through Jesus Christ. Please hear that. Again, the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding. Here's, here's what he's saying. Um, you're anxious. You, you're, you're just filled with that, maybe that anxiety. You're being triggered by certain things that are happening this holiday season. He was being anxious for nothing. All things prayer, supplication, making a request known unto God. And the peace of God, the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, that will be provided to us through Jesus. Now, here's why I want to bring this out. The next verse, stay with me, church. The next verse, do you know what Paul says? He goes on a verse in verse 9, two verses later. The things which you've learned and received and heard and saw in me, these do, and the God of peace will be with you. Please hear that. I want you to see Paul's play on words here. In verse 8, verse 6 and 7, he says, the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, the peace of God. And then Paul says, model me, mimic me, copy me, and the God of peace will be with you. So he says, the peace of God, then he says, the God of peace. Again, here's the point. First, we need the God of peace, and then we can have the peace of God. See, we need the God of peace. So often we want, we want peace in our lives, but you have the God of peace. 
until you have the peace of God, or until you have peace with God, you'll never have the peace of God. And this is what he's really diving into here. You know, when I say peace is promised, let me just uh, point this verse out to you, share this with you. Maybe you've seen this or read this. It's Isaiah 26.3, but it says, you keep him in perfect peace whose mind is seen on you because he trusts in you. Listen to that. You keep him in perfect peace because his mind is, is just fixated on you. He trusts in you. You keep him in perfect peace. Guys, I, I, that's a promise I want. That's one of those promises like, wait, wait, you keep him in perfect peace? God keeps you and me in perfect peace whose mind is just fixed on you and trusts in you? That God says, I'm going to give you perfect peace? That I'm going to give you this peace that is perfect, complete, pure? But by the way, this is really interesting. In Hebrew, in Isaiah 26, 3, this verse, it says, you keep him in, and it says, shalom, shalom. And literally, perfect peace, they didn't know how to do shalom, shalom. He's, remember that word shalom? Wholeness, completeness, harmony. It says, you keep him in shalom, shalom, whose mind is fixed on you and trusts in you, or you keep him whole and complete, and you keep him in harmony. It's just this double portion. It's, it's trying to emphasize it and stress it. It's like, you keep God, God. You keep your people in shalom, shalom, whose mind is fixed on you and trusts in you. And notice this. It deals with the head and the heart. Their mind is fixed on you, and they trust in you. That God's like, I want your mind. I want your thoughts. I mean, my mind is like at war. Our minds are at war. The thoughts we have, the, the lies we tell ourselves, the lives we read, the social media we take in, it's like there's a battlefield, or there's a battle taking place in my mind. And he says, no, no, get off that stuff. Not you keep in perfect peace who's just scrolling through Instagram, you know, five hours a day or watching the news 16 hours a day. You don't keep that person in perfect peace. You're like, yeah, that's me. Like, no, you won't be in perfect peace. But the one whose mind is fixed on you. I mean, Paul said that in Philippians 4. Whatever things are true, whatever things are noble, whatever things are lovely, meditate on these things. Then verse 9, he says, and the God of peace, the God of peace will be with you. The point is, I'm going to fix my mind on God. I'm going to trust in you. My mind, my heart, everything is involved in this. Shalom, shalom to those who fix their mind on you and trust in you. This is the promise of Christmas. The point is, peace is internal before it's external. That before we can ever again have the peace of God, we got to be at peace with God. That peace on earth, goodwill towards men, nope. Next time you hear that, like that's not a good translation. That's actually really bad. Peace among those with whom God is pleased. Who's God pleased with? Those who put their faith in Jesus. Peace is promised among those with whom God is pleased. Where's the peace? It's among those with whom God is pleased. I don't know why I just thought of that old commercial, where's the beef? Sorry, that was just weird. You guys remember that? Where's the, sorry, that was so weird. But where's the peace among those with whom God is pleased? Listen, church. I want and I want you to have the peace of God. I can never force it, manipulate it. I can't do anything, anything to get it. But can I, can I tell you, we can have the God of peace. That I don't need to seek peace from God. I need to seek the God of peace. So often we go, God, what can you do for me? God, give me peace. I mean, you promised this. God, give me peace. And God's like, just, just, I want to give you me. You want peace. That's good. I'm better. I want to give you me. The God of peace. The God of peace. The peace of God will be with you. Seek the God of peace. And that's the last point. Third point is this. Peace is a person. Peace is problematic. Absolutely. Uh, peace is promised. But more importantly, peace is a person. See, let me say this. Peace is, is not really a concept or an idea or an emotional feeling. It, it might express itself in some of those ways. But can I tell you that peace is tangible, that peace is a person? You're like, whoa, Josiah, where does it say that in the Bible? Ephesians 2, 14. It simply says it this way in Ephesians chapter 2, verse 14. For he himself is our peace. Peace is a person. 
Jesus himself, he like emphasizes it, is our peace. You want peace? It's Jesus. If anyone wants peace, it's Jesus. Why isn't there peace? Have you received Jesus? I'm not claiming that Christians have it all together, that concept or feeling or idea of, of peace. I'm saying that we have the Prince of Peace. We have a person who brings us and is peace. This is the peace on earth, God and sinner reconciled, only through the person of peace, the Prince of Peace, Jesus Christ. Amen? It's found in Him. And you know, can I tell you this? Before Jesus is called the Prince of Peace, I mean, yes, that's in Isaiah, but when, when the angel shows up to Joseph and says, hey, listen, Mary's with child." And here's what I want you to call him. It's Matthew chapter 1. Listen to what the angel says. Here's another name for Jesus. Matthew 1 verse 21. It says, You shall call his name Jesus, for he will save his people from their sins. The angel's pointing back to really this, this Old Testament word of Joshua, Yeshua, Jesus. This means God is salvation. And he says, listen, Joseph, uh, you're, you're betrothed. She's with child. I want you to name him Jesus. Make sure you name him Yeshua, that God is salvation, that God saves that you know what, you and I want peace, the Prince of Peace, but first we need to be saved before we could ever have the Prince of Peace. If you and I want peace in our lives, have you been saved? The whole point of, the, of Christmas is this idea that God came to save. Like it is so, you know, this story, it's so cute. Normally like we have like kids singing and it's so beautiful and it's like, oh, so cute, Christmas. But I mean, like it's a tragic story if you think about it in some ways. Like God's like, I have to enter into creation because you're so messed up. I have to come down, take on the form of a baby. I have to enter into your pain and suffering. I'll suffer with you. I'll walk through this with you because I've come to save. The story of Christmas is that you and I are, are just separated from God, far from God. We're dead in our sins. We could never save ourselves. We could never be right with God, but God entered history in the person of Jesus, Yeshua. God has come to save. Amen? Again, so before we could ever have the Prince of Peace, we need to know Yeshua, who is God, is our salvation. He's our salvation. He's come to save. I love this quote by this pastor, Adrian Rogers, and just stay with me. Listen to this. He says, if our greatest, listen, if our greatest need had been information, God would have sent an educator. If our greatest need had been technology, God would have sent a scientist. If our greatest need had been money, God would have sent an economist. But my dear friend, our greatest need was salvation and forgiveness, and God sent a Savior. This was our greatest need. Our greatest need is Jesus, Yeshua, the Prince of Peace. He goes, this is what God sent because this is what we needed. Let me just again point this out. Um, I cannot wait for the truth of the Bible that Isaiah talks about when Jesus is ruling, the Messiah is here ruling from sea to sea, that truly the wolf will, die, will lie down with the lamb, that there really will be peace on earth in that physical, physical, tangible way where you go, wow, there's harmony. Like truly a wolf is sleeping with a little lamb? They're not at odds. They're not at war with each other. There will be external peace when Jesus comes and rules and reigns. But first we need him internally. First, we need to trust in him personally before that could ever happen. I would say know Jesus first as the Prince of Peace. Know Jesus first as the peace is offered to those with whom God is pleased. Is God pleased with you? You're like, I don't know. Put your faith in Jesus. God is pleased with you. Without faith, it's impossible to please God. But with faith, and that pleases God. And that's how you can have the God of peace. And this is offered to us in the person of Jesus. And I would say, church, put your faith in Jesus. 
If you're here walking in for the first time and you're like, you know, I'm just kind of cynical towards this whole Christian thing, this whole church thing. I'm not really sure of it. Listen, there is chaos. There's pain in what's going on here. I'd say, listen, you can only know peace of the person of Jesus. That, that peace is less of an idea, less of a concept, less of a feeling, but it is a person. He himself is our peace. And this peace is offered freely for those who put their faith and trust in Jesus, for those who fix their minds on him and they trust in you. My mind is captivated, my heart is captivated with the person of Jesus. My mind is fixed on you, Jesus. You keep them in shalom, shalom. You keep them in perfect peace. The one who says, I'm gonna bring my thoughts captive before you, God, and I'm gonna think of you. My heart trusts in you. Then you have shalom, shalom. You'll never have it until then. Put your faith in Jesus. That is the point. And listen, until the wolf lies down with the lamb, guess what we're going to do? We're going to proclaim this peace. Why is that? Isaiah 52, 7 says, How beautiful on the mountains are the feet of those who bring good news. Who what? Who proclaim peace. Who bring good tidings. Who proclaim salvation. Who say to Zion, your God reigns. Until then, until we see perfect peace, until we see Jesus coming and ruling and reigning, we're going to proclaim peace. And that peace is only found in the person of Jesus. Until then, we're going to proclaim peace. How beautiful are those, how beautiful are the feet of those who proclaim peace. That might not be a compliment to us. You're like, I don't really want beautiful feet. That's a compliment to them. It's like wherever you go, whatever you do, proclaim peace. Be a person of peace. Jesus is the Prince of Peace. We're called to be peacemakers, and we're going to bring that peace by talking about the person of Jesus. Listen, tonight we are going to take communion because the whole point of uh, Christmas, think about this, church. Jesus didn't just come to be born. He came to die. Like, of course Jesus came to be born. Do that, Jesus. Think about any, listen, think about any other religious leader. Think about different religious leaders. You know, it almost seems as if when they died, their ministry stopped. But when Jesus' ministries died, uh, when Jesus died, his ministry was accomplished. For them, they died. It stopped. Jesus, he died, mission accomplished. That's what he came to do. And so we're going to remember the fact that Jesus was born in a manger that day to pay for my sins, to pay for your sins. And we're going to look to him and trust in him. And I want to read this verse to you out of Isaiah 53, verse 5. Listen what he says. Listen about the Messiah to come. He says, this Messiah was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. Upon him was the chastisement that brought us peace. And with his wounds, we are healed. Upon him was the chastisement that brought us peace. On the cross that day, Jesus was beaten. He was mocked. He was spit upon. I mean, it's just a brutal day. And his chastisement, what he walked through, what he went through, brought us peace. We have the peace of God because Jesus took on the chaos of sin. You and I have the peace of God because Jesus took on my sin, my shortcomings. And we're going to take communion right now to say, thank you, Jesus. I'm not just here to celebrate the fact that you were a baby born in a manger. Yes, we are celebrating that. But I'm here to celebrate the fact that, God, you came to save. You came to forgive us of our sins. You came to pay a debt we could never pay. You came to pay a huge price so I could be right with you, so I could be at peace with God. The chastisement for our peace was on him. For our peace was on him. Thank you, Jesus. Why don't you right now just grab your little cup. It's a little tricky. If you look at the top of it, you're gonna see the wafer. And I would just encourage you to peel that back, but take a minute. I want you just to peel that back and at your own time, we're gonna play some worship, but at your own time, why don't you just pull out that cracker 
and just pray over it for a second and say, Jesus, thank you for your body that was broken for me. Thank you for your blood that was shed for the forgiveness of my sins. Listen, if you're not a believer in Jesus Christ, let me just say this. You can take communion right now if you believe and trust in Jesus. Trust in Jesus. I would plead with you to trust in Jesus, to put your faith in Jesus. If, if you're not a believer in Jesus Christ, there's no need to take communion. There's no need to remember something that you don't even believe in. So there's no pressure to take this whatsoever. But if you, if you right now are sitting here going, but I want this, I want this peace. But I, listen, peace is a person. You'll never have this peace until you know the person of Jesus. But right now you can cry out and say, Jesus, I love you. I trust in you. I believe in you. You died for my sins. You rose again from the grave. You've conquered sin, hell, and death. And I believe in you, Jesus. And I don't just want peace from you. I want you who are peace, who is peace. I want you, Jesus. And just, you can feel, feel free to take communion. This is a gift for anyone. Christmas is about this idea of giving and receiving. And man, the greatest gift was given and his name was Jesus. So we're going to play some worship. We're going to give you some time just to pull it out, to pray over it, thank him, praise him. And I'm going to close this out in worship. Let me just pray really quick over you. And I'm going to be quiet and be still. And you take a minute to pray over that communion. Father, we thank you. We thank you again for this reminder that Jesus, you are our peace. You don't even just offer us peace. You are that peace. And God, as we take communion, as we look at this cracker, this wafer, we remember your body that was broken for us. As we look at this juice, we celebrate the fact that your blood was shed for our forgiveness of sins so we could be made right with you, God. We thank you for this Christmas story that Jesus, you came lowly, humbly in a manger. That God, you can relate to all of us. You are a king. You are the king of kings. And yet you lived this life of poverty. You lived this life that you took on suffering. And we just thank you, Jesus. There's no one like you. We praise you now. God, as we just take communion, we celebrate you, we honor you. Remind us, God, of this Advent time that, God, you came and you are coming again. We take this communion in remembrance of even that truth that you will not eat this bread or drink from this cup until you do it again with us one day in heaven. We look forward to that. We praise you for that truth, Jesus. Thank you. There's no one like you. In your name, Jesus, amen. We're going to worship.